0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything and anything you're discussing about the game we all love. I mean, McGarry, with me as always is Duncan Castles, and just to refer back to that famous intro... If you didn't believe that we bring the news before it becomes news, then we will talk about Leroy Sané in a few minutes. A story of the player going to Bayern Munich that we first broke in May 2019. That's right, May 2019. First of all, though, we're going to go to the future of probably England's most wanted player, Jack Grealish. It's our understanding that Borussia Dortmund have entered in to the market for the Aston Villa captain, who of course has been linked heavily with Manchester United and other clubs as well in the Premier League. A move to Dortmund would certainly be a departure for uh, a young man who has grown up at Aston Villa and I think Duncan, we would agree, has expressed his preference for a move in England and, even better, if it were to Old Trafford. Now, the problem, of course, is the fee. However, it's also the case that United are waiting to discover Villa's fate in terms of relegation in the Premier League, in the belief that if Villa do go down, both the player and the club will be much more open to the move. Duncan, I know that you have been researching the link with Dortmund this week. Can you give us a bit more information about that? And also, of course, a view on United's strategy, um, regarding Grealish and relegation?
1: Yeah, I think you said the, probably the most wanted player in England. And I think you have to emphasise in England here um, because Grealish's future is kind of wrapped up with the future of Jaden Sancho. Um, they're not exactly the same players, but you can see how they're comparable players and they can do um, that kind of creative role in the field that um, that most teams are looking for. Um, both young, both English, um, both not expected medium to longer term to remain at the clubs they're at. Um, in Grealish's case, there is the spectre of relegation. Aston Villa's finances are not great, willing to be relegated. You can see that uh, the the emphasis on them to cash in on Grealish and particularly with his reluctance um, to stop playing in in the Premier League and, and uh, have a season in the Championship would, uh, would force them to sell there. Um, it's clear that Jaden Sancho is the preferred option for Manchester United, um, but uh, a more expensive option. Uh, we've seen only this week, Manchester United briefing that they will not go above £50 million pounds as a transfer fee for Jaden Sancho, which is roughly half of what Borussia Dortmund have been indicating as their asking price for the player. Um, Therefore, if you're Manchester United um, and you have an interest in both of those players, um, you can see why they'd be waiting and, and, uh, and seeing what the market does, seeing what they each individual eventually gets priced at. Dortmund have a complication with Sancho in that he only has two years left of contract. Uh, If they let that down for another year, there's no way they'll be getting 100 million euros for the player in a year's time. So they um, would either have to agree to sell this summer or um, secure Sancho on a longer term contract, which uh, possibly has a release clause. Um, entered into it for next season, but ensures that they don't get caught in the kind of bind that um, Manchester City have got caught in with Leroy Zani, which we can talk about later and be forced to sell him at uh, below what the market value would be on a, when the player is on a, a longer-term contract. Um, then Dortmund obviously have an issue with replacing Sancho, something they've been preparing for for a long time. We know Dortmund's strategy has been to buy Younger players, they have no hesitation about buying players from England. Um, they kind of pioneered that process of, of taking players out of the Premier League academy system, developing them in, in Germany, increasing their value and, and selling on um, at a later stage. Um, Grealish would be a different story in that he is more developed in his career. But again, uh, if Aston Villa in a relegation situation, you can to secure that player for a cheaper price put him in the Dortmund team, play Champions League football, compete for the Bundesliga. The idea of getting good seasons from him there and, and making money down the line. I think there's, there's an additional factor also adding to the complication of this is that both Manchester United and Dortmund want Jude Bellingham. Um, the, the teenage uh, midfielder at Birmingham City, we told you um, in January that Manchester United had made an offer of 30 million pounds to Birmingham for the player. Um, which the player uh, rejected. they would actually got to the kind of fees that um, Birmingham were prepared to sell for. The player has been, and his father, have been very careful about deciding his future. Um, They've had extensive talks with both clubs. Uh, They have a salary offer on the table from Dortmund, have had for some time. The, The information I have is that has been accepted by the Bellingham family, so they're happy with the terms on offer there but um, no final decision taken, um, as I understand, as to where he would go. So there are suggestions that Manchester United may try and take Bellingham's future into consideration and into the negotiations with Dortmund and do some kind of arrangement where they would allow Dortmund access to Bellingham and and withdraw um, their pursuit of that player in return for Dortmund selling them Sancho at the correct price. Um, So there's a lot of um, haggling, there's a lot of maneuvering going on here. There's a lot of unusual strategies around this nexus of players that the the two clubs are interested in. Um, Manchester United, I think, uh, feel they're in a stronger position than certainly they were three months ago and that they they now have a team that is uh, delivering results in the field. You have Mason Greenwood now playing on the right-hand side of attack instead of Daniel James and playing well. So that's a, a an alternative option for or um, Solskjaer to think about is how, to what extent do you need to have a lot of money spent on that right wing position if Mason Greenwood can play there and play there effectively. It would be put a lot of weight on a, an 18-year-old's shoulders, but it, it is a consideration. Um, And also, do you want to block or slow down um, Greenwood's development path by bringing another attacking player in? But the the noises from Solskjaer, the noises from Old Trafford are that they're going to be careful with their money. Um, They have been impacted by COVID heavily partly because they've been so generous in their, their um, policies towards their non-playing staff in terms of not cutting salaries. They haven't negotiated down salaries for their players, as some other clubs have done, and they've put a lot of money into charitable causes in the Manchester area. So they, they've taken a, a big expense on themselves through this period. Um, and they're, they're very much indicating that they want to see what the market is going to do and want to see if they've got Champions League football or not. Another massive consideration before deciding how much they'll spend. And of course, putting these signals out that um, there's a limit on how much they're prepared to pay for their top target, Sancho, to to pressurise Dortmund over that deal.
0: I think it's another um, developing argument as well, Duncan, with regards to Grealish and Manchester United, and even Jadon Sancho, for... Um, Uh, that reason as well. And that is the very, very um, interesting uh, and very speedy um, development of this midfield triangle, which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has at his disposal of Nemanja Matic, Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. Anyone who saw the Brighton-Manchester United game on Tuesday night, um, I think would have been very impressed by the way the three linked up the third goal was a thing of of great speed and beauty. Matich's pass out to Greenwood, Greenwood playing in the Sancho role on the left side this time. He normal plays on the right. And is a gorgeous and perfectly weighted pass to Fernandez, who finishes with absolute ice-cold uh, perfection, uh, hitting the ball on the ground to ensure the goalkeeper was was fooled. And Pogba, as much as you know, and we have been critical of him on the podcast uh, over the course of this season uh, for several things does look like a player rejuvenated, he was very energetic, he um, took up possession well he made lots of good runs but he also took uh, control and dominance of the ball and was very, very effective in passing to teammates uh, including for Fernandez's uh, goal so I I wonder if Solskjaer looking at his team now and thinking, oh, maybe it's more important if we say maybe Ed Woodward's looking at the team and saying, do we really need to spend £50 million pounds on a Jack Grealish or a Jadon Sancho?
1: Pogba has always been an exceptionally talented player in, in all areas in terms of... Um, His ability on the ball, his ability to pass the ball, his ability um, to create chances. He is physically hugely impressive. He's got an extremely unusual combination of height, strength and a, a delicate touch and an intelligent touch on the ball, which is why he became the most expensive player in Manchester United's history when they signed him. Um, there's no question of what he's capable of doing. The question is whether he's capable of doing it on a regular basis. The, the, the issues he, have, he has are um, application um, and particularly defensive application. There have been many occasions we've seen where he's not been prepared um, to follow team instructions uh, and allowed opposition into areas which damage Manchester United, and, and we haven't seen that tested yet in this uh, combination with Bruno Fernandes. It looks fantastic against weaker sides, um, the creativity there is is excellent, um, but you're not testing that question mark of, of will Pogba play in a disciplined fashion and work on defensive duties in harder matches in matches where the opposition are, are, are making him work more intensely. Um, I think they've also been helped that Solskjaer now understands that Nemanja Matic is his best defensive midfielder, a man he's sidelined for much of the season and and who was very close to losing from the club because of his uh, his attitude to him and the way, the way he was um, failing to play him. I think it, it's telling that uh, Patrice Evra, for example, uh, selected... The Manu Matic as his man of the match in that game against Brighton because he understands the importance and simplicity of the role Matic plays. But yeah, um it, it they clearly have improved as a team who can play against weaker sides. Um and I, and I think it's it also helps that they're playing in a covid environment of ghost games where there's no home crowd where um, the referees tend to Favor the big sides in that game against Brighton. You know they they won the match easily. They're always going to win the match, but you, there was a couple of instances where they were caught on possession early in the game where the score um, was still um, nil nil, uh, and Brighton would have had a, a, a I think a three on two attack on the on the Manchester United goal, and the referee gave a you know a questionable foul. And those kind of little details help in this scenario, but they're moving in the right direction um, in terms of midfield and as they should be because they they spent a huge amount of money on Bruno Fernandes to buy a finished article um, and put him in that midfield with the idea that um, this would be a replacement for Pogba um, who'd been causing trouble for them. Now they're in a situation where they might be able to retain Pogba because no one is in the marketplace, who can spend the money that would be required to take him um, and take his wages this summer? So they 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 could get the chance to find out if this midfield is going to work for them through the course of an entire season. It certainly will
0: be interesting until the end of this this uh, interrupted season to uh, see that midfield and how again it develops more and functions, um, especially as Duncan said against perhaps more difficult opposition. Now Manchester City have confirmed that Leroy Zane, uh, the winger that uh, they bought four years ago, uh, will leave the club and join Bayern Munich this summer for an initial fee of around £44.7 million with the possibility of add-ons as well. This is a story which, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, Duncan Castles first broke for you uh, more than a year ago, uh, it's something we've talked about as well over the course of the season. I would say that Manchester City fans do kind of, for, in some ways, have forgotten a bit about Zani because of the serious injury he suffered, and clearly has missed the majority of the season, only returning to training recently uh, during the lockdown. And um, how big a blow is it though to to lose? Someone who I suspect is maybe their fastest and most direct player, maybe just ahead of Raheem Sterling, it gives them an extra dimension, something which Pep Guardiola very much valued. Um, because I think that because he's not been in the squad this season, as I said, I think it's been, well, he's almost been forgotten about, even though he's clearly been missed. Uh, and you could make that point quite forcibly. Given City's eight defeats and the margin of points difference between them and Liverpool at the top of the league,
1: yeah, he's been conspicuous by his absence. Um, in that they are well off uh, winning the Premier League title and 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 putting up a um, a decent challenge for this season's Premier League title. I mean, basically, Guardiola gave up on this in December, like. Um, Essentially, in public comments, conceded the league to Liverpool in December, and um, not obviously they've had issues in in central defence, um, but not having Zani has made a, a significant difference to their attack. And Manchester City are briefing that they they. Uh, secured an initial fee of 49 million euros with 11 million euros of uh, performance-related bonuses. The word from Germany was the initial was 45 with four of easy bonuses and then up to 60 um, in the the total deal. But the, the brief from Manchester City is they feel like they've, they've been successful in those negotiations and they've done well and they're happy with the the sum they've secured. Um, You know, you can see the argument that they have done all right in a COVID market to get that amount of money for a player who has one year of contract left. But step away from that and ask yourself whether Manchester City wanted to lose a 24 year old player who has been absolutely central to their um, double uh, Premier League winning team, um, who has been identified as by, by Bayern Munich as a key player to bring in to build their team around. Um, and they've lost him essentially for the same money that they paid Schalke, for the player four years ago and people at the time were saying that's you know, a very high fee for a player of his age and a player of his status in the game. Well, Manchester City were, have, have demonstrated they made a very good decision in terms of buying um, Sane from Schalke four years ago. But in, if you given the option a season or two seasons ago and said to Manchester City you're going to be losing this player this summer for less than €50 million euros guaranteed there is no way they'd have taken that deal, so they've allowed themselves to get into a place where they've lost a key component of their team to a direct rival um, for the Champions League, for not particularly good money. And um, if you take into account how good a player he is and and his age um, and the potential development that's open to him, um, and that happened for the reasons we we told you on the podcast a year ago. This was Zani was unhappy with his status at City. He was unhappy with the way um, he was handled by Guardiola. Um, He felt he was as important to the team as, for example, Kevin De Bruyne and therefore um, should be paid at the same level and should should have the same status within the team. Um, Guardiola was not happy with his attitude and the way he trained at times and therefore left him out of his side from time to time. Um, and City were not prepared to to put him on the wage level that he thought he was worth. I mean, this is not an unusual story. We see it in football uh, at many different clubs, but the outcome has been one that Manchester City sought to avoid. As Guardiola said on record, they made contract offers to him. They wanted to retain the player, um, but they've lost him, and they now have a significant problem, I think, in replacing him. Because when you when you take a player of that importance out of your squad and a player who's of a different type and it, his speed it has been fundamental as a weapon for Manchester City in their attack, it's obvious you need to find a like-for-like like replacement. And I, I think that's why they've been looking at players, as we told you in the podcast months ago, like Adama Traore, um, who does have that degree of pace and does have that ability to break defences down could make that um, difference in certain matches that will be required to get the points that will be needed to surpass Liverpool in the league and take the the title back. But look at the asking price. Wolves want €150 million euros for Adama Traore. I do not see anyone paying that in this market, but um, I also don't see Wolves selling him um, for a cheap Price. They're not in a position where they need to sell for a cheap price. So then you 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 filter that into the decision or the the agreement to sell at the price they've sold, and um, and you see the the potential economic damage losing Zani can do unless they can dig out from somewhere a replacement um, who uh, is like Zani was four years ago and and can be. Um, secured at at a cheaper fee and do the kind of things he has been able to do for them going forward
0: So let's look at the facts here Duncan, in 12 months Manchester City have gone from being treble winning champions to 23 points behind Liverpool in the Premier League title race obviously they're still in the Champions League and the FA Cup, we obviously know that these are the facts They've lost their most influential captain, potentially, in their history, in Winsland Company. They are about to lose probably their best player of the Premier League era in David Silva. And now they're losing one of their most influential and best players in zane to, as you said, a direct Champions League rival in Bayern Munich. Is this a significant moment in the history of the Abu Dhabi regime at Manchester City?
1: I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's clearly a significant moment. It'll be even more significant if um, the CAS uh, Court of Arbitrations for for sport decision goes against them um, this month, and they and their two season Champions League ban is upheld, because um, that will unless they come through this end of season um, Champions League. Uh, COVID-affected competition by lifting the trophy, that will mean that Abu Dhabi will have to wait even longer um, to achieve that ambition um, that they have spent billions on um, to to take Europe's Premier Club trophy. They have significant work to do to to get back to where they need to be to compete with Liverpool. Um, Obviously, if the Champions League ban is upheld, then um, they will miss Champions League revenue. The one advantage they do have, which is something we flagged up the podcast a couple of weeks ago, is that the change or the relaxation in financial fair play rules allows them the opportunity to put a lot of Abu Dhabi money into the transfer market um, for this um, next uh monitoring period for UEFA so up until the end of next season and that could be over 100 million euros of effectively uh, free extra spend that they will be able to have because Abu Dhabi are capable of putting equity into the club to cover um, the additional losses uh, that will be assessed against um, their accounts as being caused by COVID, and which UEFA allow you to make up for in this period, as we pointed out, other clubs are not in the situation where they can uh, inject large amounts of cash into their books um, to cover the the extra losses that um, UEFA allow them to have in this period. So, so there is an opportunity there, but there's also you know that big worry of um, UEFA uh, judgment. Is found to be correct, and there is no Champions League football next season. Potentially for two seasons, if if it goes to a two season ban, we've already heard noises from the senior players that, um, such as De Bruyne, such as Aguero, um, that uh, that they would consider whether they they um, they can wait two years to play in the Champions League again. It, it, it's. Um, very open period, very complex period for them and one of course that has to be done in a hurry because the next Premier League season is going to start pretty soon after this Premier League season ends assuming everything goes well with Covid and we get uh, through this season and we get the the next season started on schedule
0: It strikes me as well Duncan that speaking to people um, in football who obviously hear. What certain clubs are looking for, the positions, who they're interested in, et cetera, et cetera. I detect a kind of lethargy so far in Manchester City's transfer strategy. Haven't heard um, any concrete information regarding uh, their intention to buy big players, expensive players. we know and we've reported that there's interest in Kaldo Kulabali at Napoli, who would be expensive and, of course, would be a very good partner for Americ Laporte and Patch up a defence, which is um, clearly uh, leaking goals uh, in a way that Pep Guardiola is concerned about. But they do have problems with, on, with both sides of uh, the, the, the defence and full backs. Um, and they they know they need to improve. And yet there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of movement despite the riches that they have. It's almost like they're waiting for the cast decision on Champions League before deciding what they spend. When in fact, their fans and from the outside, given um, how far they have finished behind Liverpool, if they want to be serious challenges even just in the Premier League next season, they
1: clearly need to invest. I think, I think they're doing plenty of work in the background. I think Manchester City are uh, they're extremely organised in the recruitment level. Yes, they have made mistakes like every other club, but uh, they do um, identify targets. They work on multiple targets at the same time. I think the, the biggest problem they had last summer was the um, decision to limit the spending, um, which meant that uh, they had to go um, and choose between signing a centre-back and and signing a full-back. And in the end, they went for the full-back in Jean Cancelo. And you can argue that uh, that that was the the wrong way to go because Cancelo hasn't played as many games as they expected. And centre-back has proven to be a difficult area for them. Obviously, Laporte's injury issues this season magnified that. But um, I think you highlight there that a key factor, which is if the Champions League ban is upheld, um, the, the revenue they have to work with is significantly down. Um, albeit they have the, the, that free card of, of um, uh, putting new equity, a degree of new equity in um, off the back of FFP relaxation. They still have to account for the fact that Champions League revenue will go and, and re-address their budget um, accordingly. Um, so like Manchester United, I think they are in a situation where they have to wait to be absolutely sure what they're going to do. And I think a lot of the clubs are waiting to see how many of the other big clubs are going to act um, because who, the, the number of them that decide to spend Um, And the number that chase any one um, significant target will obviously affect um, the pricing of of those players. Um, It is, I think it's less predictable than it's it's ever been this market. And it's more fluid than it's ever been because there's so many factors in play. And, you know, as I said, there's still no guarantee um, that the coming seasons will start on time. We're waiting to see... um, how bad uh, the second wave of COVID infections becomes. We've we've seen um, Leicester put under lockdown in the Premier League saying that they'll carry on um, playing games in Leicester, Uh, but there was a decision to be taken over that. And and there's no guarantee that those those decisions will prove to be the correct ones and it will be able to um, continue safely uh, throughout the process, you, there's also the question mark of when supporters come back. Um, that is is completely open. We had Richard Masters talking in front of the Parliamentary Committee earlier this week um, and discussing uh, potential strategies the Premier League were using to try and get supporters back into the stadium as quickly as, as possible. Um, they don't have clarity on that. He said it will be dependent on government approval. Um, That makes a significant difference to cash flow next season and therefore to budgets for player recruitment.
0: Well, transfer window issues don't just affect clubs at the top of the Premier League. They also affect those at the bottom. As we've already mentioned, uh, Jack Grealish is widely expected to leave Aston Villa should the villains get relegated At the end of this season, as he does not want to play again in the championship, having just been promoted and of course has suitors. The same applies to West Ham's Declan Rice, who is a player much in demand, um, an England international already. uh, Although obviously he did play for Republic of Ireland a few times as well uh, beforehand. And as we reported in the transfer window podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone who Frank Lampard very much admires and would like to play in central defence, even though he's been playing as a holding midfielder recently for the Hammers. Uh, We understand Rice is keen to move to Stamford Bridge and reunite with the club who brought him through uh, their academy. He has uh, very good friends who have currently also made it into the Chelsea team under Lampard's tutelage, uh, most notably Mason Mount, whom he has been in regular touch with. Uh, as friends do, regardless of their team allegiance now. Now, Duncan, uh, we record this um, on Wednesday ahead of Chelsea's visit to West Ham. Um, It's been uh, quite a season for Rice. We know that he wants to continue and uh, develop his England career in the delayed Euros of next summer. Uh, And we know that Chelsea are willing to pay West Ham for his services. Um, Do you think it's inevitable that if West Ham do go down, Rice will move um, to Chelsea or somewhere else?
1: Not sure it's inevitable. Um, Obviously, it's West Ham United's decision, ultimately, um, as to whether they accept the transfer fee. Um, And it's also their decision, ultimately, as to which club they accept that fee from. We know the players can push um, but West Ham United to uh, Chelsea is going to be a controversial deal. Um, Frank Lampard taking the the pick of West Ham United's current players um, to Chelsea will also be a controversial deal which won't go down well with West Ham United supporters. Um, I can understand, do, Duncan. Sorry
0: to interrupt. Do we think that Messrs. Golden and Sullivan really care <laughs> about him going to Chelsea if they pay the right price? It, it, I'm not sure that West Ham fans would um, think that uh, their um, lovely co-owners uh, really listen to them uh, traditionally and historically.
1: I think they're conscious of their supporters. So you just have to read some of their the, the program notes that are written. Buy them to, uh, to try and, and, and sell um, decisions they make to their supporters. I'm, I'm sure if they could encourage another Premier League club um, outside London to bid for the player, um, they'd prefer to sell them there. Um, it certainly won't go down well um, should they, they lose um, Bryce this summer. Um, but going down into uh, a championship, that is going to be harder hit by COVID than the Premier League. Um, then you know certain pragmatic decisions will will have to be made, and they have spent a, a lot on that squad in recent years um, and pushed the wage bill up. So money will have to come from somewhere. Um, I think it's intelligent on on Frank. Lampard's part to, to target a player who is in danger of, of being relegated and uh, who um, is friends with, with people on the, the current Chelsea squad and, uh, and can have those voices in his ear.
0: As Maurizio Pochettino's son, also called Maurizio, uh, agreed a new contract with Tottenham, his dad has got an offer of a new coaching job although not perhaps where we expected it to come from. It was Benfica who have made a definite approach to employ the former Tottenham Hotspur manager, offering him uh, the chance to take over uh, at the Lisbon-based club. Duncan, you have done some research regarding what went on between in terms of negotiations uh, with the Argentinian and the Portuguese uh, multiple champions. And you found out that Pochettino was actually, despite what some some people might think, uh, genuinely interested in the project. But perhaps the club itself didn't have the right approach regarding their intentions, or indeed the speed of which they wished to make the appointment.
1: Yeah, Benfica um, contacted Pochettino last week um, via an agent to ask whether he'd be interested. In, um, in taking over at the Portuguese club, um, told that the the initial discussions went well. Portu Dino um, did not say no. Um, sorry, I've got uh, more important places I want to to work. Um, thanks for thanks for the, the contact, but I'll pass. He said he, he said yeah okay that's interesting. Let me look at it. Let me examine it, um, and uh, we'll we'll talk some more down the line um the idea with for Benfica is uh, is essentially um, that they wanted a big name coach in uh, partly um, because there are presidential elections coming up partly because their um, league form has fallen apart since the the Portuguese League has resumed. Um, they looked like they were going to win the Portuguese title again um, they are now, uh, with 29 games played, they've, they've dropped to six points behind Porto um, and Porto uh, have the better head-to-head, so they're effectively six and a half points behind and the, the assumption is that um, Porto will be champions, Porto will go directly into the Champions League and what looked like a a comfortable situation for, for their president, uh, Luis Felipe Vieira, in that he'd win another title, go into the Champions League, be able to sell a couple of his star players, um, take another €100 million Euros plus in revenue, reinvest it in in some younger players and and run through the cycle, has become a complex one. Um, he faces elections in October. Um, they have the Portuguese final still to play. After um, their most recent result, he sacked their coach. And um, the, the approach to Pochettino went from being one of, we'd like you to come in. Uh, for next season, to, we'd like you to come in immediately and, and try and um, fix uh, the end of this season, win us the, the Portuguese Cup and, uh, and start rebuilding the team for the next season um, and start rebuilding the team for what will have to be um, Champions League qualifiers. So they'll have to play the, the final round of Champions League qualification, which is just going to be a one-leg Affair fair rather than home and away, which would be difficult in itself, plus the, the playoffs to secure that lucrative slot in, in Europe's top club competition. Um, I'm told that Vieira then put pressure on Pochettino um, to do that and Pochettino's answer was, well, um, if you're pushing me um, to make a decision now, the decision has to be no. Um, interestingly, they were prepared to offer a very large salary um, The figure that was mentioned to me was 5 million euros net uh, to take Pochettino. And and I think there was, had they not uh, tried to accelerate the process, there was a chance that they could convince Pochettino to take the job. I think that the strategy was, this is a coach who showed himself prepared to experiment, who has um, a history of working well with younger talents. We can offer him one of the best um, development squads in Europe, a squad that that has a history of creating excellent players and and, and then selling them on, but also replacing well. And we can offer um, the chance to win titles because Pochettino for all his status in the game has yet to win a trophy. If you go to Benfica then you should be guaranteed a league title um, unless you make a complete mess of it. And you have the the opportunity to do well in in the Champions League and and demonstrate your qualities there. So there was a there was a smartness about it and and um, an opportunism about it um, that that has now been lost, um, and I think an interesting club to watch because Vieira's need to bring a big name coach in who um, satisfies the supporters ahead of that um, election um, in October remains, uh, and one of the candidates has gone away. Um, So let's see who else they approach. He he has been working to bring Jorge Jesus back from Brazil, um, their previous coach, who has been very successful at Flamengo, um, almost uh, won the Club World Cup, gave Liverpool a run for the money in the, the FIFA Club World Cup um, in December, and uh, and would of course um, satisfy the supporters if he came back. But I think you also get a sense of the um, the scattergun nature of what Vieira is doing, and that Jesus is a, is very much not a Pochettino character. He's not um, an easy person to work with he, um, he's difficult from a press perspective and he, he's not a player who, who specialise in de- developing young players so they, they, they're almost um, polar opposites apart from their status in Portugal which is why I think um, we we may see another um, one or two big names in the European game receiving unexpected invites from Benfica in the next few days
0: I'm just wondering if perhaps uh, Potricino spoke to Jose Mourinho Succeeded him at Tottenham Hotspur and, of course, had that uh, legendary three-month spell as Benfica manager early in his career in 2000. And then uh, almost Clough-esque at United, left with a bang and not a whimper. Um, so Pochettino Duncan, we did think, or, or we knew of, I should say, the interest in him from Manchester United and Manchester City on the basis that Solskjaer may not last and indeed that Guardiola may leave. He seems to be stuck in a bit of a limbo right now, doesn't he? Which is probably why he considered Benfica uh,
1: a possible option. He he has to carry on waiting. Um, I think Real Madrid is not absolutely um, nailed on for Zinedine Zidane although he does now look as though he's going to to win La Liga title there have been as we've told you in the podcast long-standing issues between Florentino Perez and Zidane Um don't think it's absolutely impossible that Zidane were, could step away again um, at the end of of the season and, and in which case Pochettino uh, becomes a candidate for that job the other one that a uh, major club that you could see opening up as Paris Saint Germain, um, with their tendency to to change coaches, and um, and obviously, um, Pochettino is an individual who has interested the Qatar um, ownership of of PSG for some time.
0: We will complete today's transfer of the podcast with our hero and villains section. Um I've got a hero, but I'm gonna switch. basically I dunk the name his villain first because I've got a feeling you might say the same person, but I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think so unless you're uh, deciding to choose the the, the the brave individual who who thought it was a great idea to celebrate Liverpool's um thirty-year um title drought um ending by uh firing fireworks at the Liver building in, in the centre of Liverpool and at his fellow Liverpool supporters, because um, I think he is the the villain of the week. Um, our Liverpool supporters took their, their scoreline from uh, Liverpool 1 title to uh, Merseyside, our number rising above 1, um, possibly over the next few days.
0: Okay, definitely not the same person then, uh, unless Leo Messi was spotted in uh the uh, Liverpool Dock area <laughs> last Friday night. I'm sure that wasn't the case. Uh, so yes, my hero is Leo Messi, who on Tuesday night scored his 700th, yes, seven zero zero, career goal uh, in the 2-2 draw with uh, Atlético Madrid, and he'd done it, of course, in style with a Panenka penalty, um, as someone uh, much more. Uh, Uh, Akin to Spanish football than I am, Mr. Graham Hunter, who is a uh, regular on the Transfer Window podcast, said uh, 700 agent licensed to Thrill uh, (laughs) on on his Twitter feed. Uh, If you haven't seen the penalty, I advise you go to social media and find it It's well worth the look. That's it for today's Transfer window podcast. We will be back later this week. If you want to continue the debate, as always, we love you too. Please engage with us on our social media channels. At Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. uh, With Duncan and I individually, please go to at Duncan Castles and I'm at Garbo SJ. You can find the podcast if you need to uh, on our YouTube channel just go to YouTube and search at Transfer Window Podcast. That's all for today's podcast. Uh, It just leaves us to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.